the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know, 69. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm to gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I found, Lord lead me on to higher ground, Lord let me on, let me stand, my faith on heaven's table through the narrow gate but wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves by their fruit you will recognize them Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. 
Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. We're eager to share with you today the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we go into the teaching today, we received an email from a friend of this broadcast. Alexandra, would you share it with us? Yes, so we've been asking you dear listeners to send in testimonies or things you'd like us to share on the air. We were happy to get this email yesterday. This is from a listener in Maryland. He writes, Pastor Greenlee hits the nail on the head when he says that he could spot a Christian by looking at their checkbook. Pilgrim's Progress really needs to go FM and further. If just 100 listeners would contribute a cell phone's worth every month, it would be done. I will continue to pray that God will soften the listening audience to give. I thought that was very sweet, and it also, I felt like it made our our prayer and our goal of going to the FM dial much more approachable. Because it's true, it's not a great act of self-denial to say, okay, I'm going to cancel my cable and then send that money to Christian radio. It's something that each of you probably could do. And then he shared a testimony, which I just thought was fantastic. So he says, Pilgrim's Progress is responsible for me praying to Jesus for his blood to heal me of what was quickly developing into or already was alcoholism. And his deliverance happened that very morning on September 11, 2014, with a clear message to not drink ever again, not even a single drink. And I have listened, and I have never once even had an urge to drink. God took it all away. I went from really craving alcohol to absolute indifference. This just delighted me, because this is what we've been talking about on this broadcast that following Jesus is not hard and when we give ourselves totally to him we have a changed heart so this man he went from struggling with alcoholism to now he's totally indifferent to alcohol and that's the promise of Jesus for us in regard to all sin that we won't even have any urge in our heart anymore to ever go back to sin so thank you for sharing your testimony my dear brother so we're going to again share today a message on sanctification and what it means and the glory of walking completely free in Jesus. This is written by Pastor Godby. What was the year? 1893. 1893. He was a real old timer filled with the Spirit of God. And this book Holiness or Hell. Holiness or Hell. Kind of a shocking title. 
but we want to share portions of this with you today. He writes, Entire sanctification is the only salvation from idolatry. I am a pessimist on sin and, not, and cannot paint it as dark as it is. I am an optimist on grace. There is nothing hard for omnipotence to do. The difficulties which are in man's way are not in God's way. All you have to do is take hands off and give the king a chance. I preach a present salvation to every sinner the moment he surrenders and receives the omnipotent Christ as his Savior, and a present sanctification to every Christian the moment he consecrates and receives Jesus as his sanctifier. The world is toppling into hell for the want of preachers who will drop their dark age theologies and all their silly hobbies and controversies of the present age and go preaching an omnipotent Savior to the ruined sinner, preach a bottomless hell and an omnipotent grace, throw away the devil's nonsense about waiting. Why would you think or what would you think of a preacher telling a sinner to wait to be converted? You would say, run him out of the country. But we have all around us those who say, wait to grow into sanctification. Wait till you die to get it. If you say to a sinner on the brink of hell, wait, you are preaching for the devil. It is equally true of the Christian for sanctification. If you tell him to wait, rest assured you're helping the devil to keep him from taking it now. The Bible is a now book. It offers pardon to every penitent sinner and sanctification to every Christian now. Oh, that they would believe. The pessimist is an extremist against sin, just as dark and hard as he can be. The optimist is an extremist on grace. He ignores all the difficulties, sweeps through all opposition, and is discouraged by nothing. His faith is not in the church, in men, nor in circumstances, but in the Savior. Where all others despair, his faith puts on new vigor and soars to the heart of God, he looks for wonders. He expects Christ to conquer the devil, lock him up in hell, and cover the earth with his millennial glory. He expects the final and ultimate defeat of the devil and the restoration of all things foretold by the prophets. God help us to be courageous enough to be an extremist. If a thing is bad, oppose it with all of your might. If it is good, Encourage it with all the power of soul and body. Dare to be an extremist. The battle rages on the border. Cowards hide in the interior. Make for the front of the battle. Seek the thickest of the fight. This war of sin and holiness, Satan and Christ, will soon be over. When the field is silent and the roll of honor called, then you will be sorry you were not an extremist against sin and Satan. 
in favor of Christ and holiness. And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Isaiah 35, 8. Satan captured the world in the fall. God recognizes it and calls him the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Satan offered this world to Christ in the wilderness if he would worship him as the unregenerate are still doing. He proposed to end the war, let Jesus reign on earth and himself in hell. If Jesus had worshipped him, of course it would have virtually added this world to hell. The divinity could not be tempted. If the humanity had accepted and become a partner of Satan, the divinity would have left him, and in that case he would have been transformed into an archdemon, and the plan of salvation would have collapsed forever. Since the devil is the god of this world, he rules every inch of it except the territory the Son of God has taken from him by conquest, and that is the king's highway of holiness. Emmanuel's land, through which pilgrims travel from the city of destruction to the celestial city, it is a great mistake to think regenerated people are not in that way. All of God's children are in that way, whether they are sanctified or not. As John Wesley says, regeneration is sanctification begun. We may add with safety, sanctification is regeneration complete, i.e. full renewal. We live in an age of dead churches, the common churchism of the time is no part of Christianity. It is only the shell. While the oyster is long since dead, it goes along with the world and does not even profess to be on the king's highway, but relegates all that is to sanctification and rejects it with contempt. Between the weakest Christian and the best sinner, there is a spiritual chasm high as heaven, deep as hell, and broad as creation. The grand and glorious Christianity of the Bible is degraded by fallen churches till angels weep and devils exalt. The popular religion is a sinning religion. That is the devil's sort. He that committeth sin is of the devil. 1 John 3.8 God's sort does not commit sin even in the regenerated state. He that is born of God doth not commit sin, 1 John 3, 9, and cannot while he remains in God's family. So don't forget that all Christians are treading the king's highway of holiness. The sinning multitudes in the churches are either unconverted or backslidden, so that they are not now on the way. The interior way spoken of in the scripture is the way of entire sanctification. Over this interior way, the unclean cannot pass. The lions of inbred sin and the ravenous beasts of depravity never can get on it. It is a hidden way. Your life is hid with Christ in God. The vulture's eye hath not seen it, 
in regeneration you receive something, i.e., the life of God into your soul. In sanctification, you lose something. In other words, depravity out of your heart. So you see, sanctification makes you little. God leads you out into this interior way and covers you with his hand. The world does not see you. The regenerated don't see you. The devil doesn't see you. You're hidden away with God. He covers you with his feathers. Satan and the world hunt for you in vain. They shoot at you, but they miss you. Not a missile reaches you. Regeneration took you out of the world, but sanctification took the world out of you. So you now have a glorious double salvation. Satan remembers you and hunts for you, but can't find you. In the sequestered retreats of the interior way, you enjoy perfect rest. The king of glory walks by your side and you rest sweetly in his arms. A thousand revolutions may sweep over this old bloody world and never disturb your rest. Earthquakes and cyclones jostle you not an iota. Sickness and bankruptcy are even messengers of mercy to your restful soul. The heavy tread of death, the mighty thunders of the judgment day, the sweep of eternal ages are alike incompetent to disturb your rest. You have entered into the sweet soul Sabbath, which shall never end, but abide with God forever. Weary pilgrim, don't you long for this perfect rest. God has it for you right now. The way is narrow as to principle, but as to capacity, it is broad enough for all the lost millions of Adam's ruined race. As an evidence that neither the world nor the devil can see the travelers in the interior way, I never saw a missile shot at them in my life. They aim to shoot at them and bang around, but always lose their ammunition. I challenge you to listen and note all their criticisms. You will see every time they appertain to the regenerate and not to the sanctified. In this interior way, you are encompassed on both sides with the pilgrims in regeneration who serve as breastworks where Satan and his host shoot in from the world which skirts the highway on other side. His ammunition is absorbed by the unsanctified before it reaches you. Let's stop a minute and talk about this. John Wesley said that he believed from the scriptures that it was very possible, in fact, God's way, for a man to be converted, for a man to be made righteous, to be justified, and for a man to be sanctified all at the same time. But he said experientially, it often is not that way. It may be a matter of hours, days, months, until a person who has been made regenerate. Do you know what I mean by regenerate? Um, the word literally means that if my arm is cut off, and I'm a one-armed man, to regenerate means to replace that arm so that I have my arm back. 
So regeneration means to be restored to a time before sin, to a time before Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to be made righteous. So Wesley's view of this, and, and I am in agreement with this, that a man does not grow into conversion. Neither does a man grow into sanctification. Instead, they should be done all at once. A man should be converted and sanctified, holy. Now, let's talk for a minute about what we mean when we say sanctified. The word just means to be made holy, hagios. It means to be made like Jesus. So when a when a man is regenerate, when a man is converted, he may still have areas of his heart that he has not totally surrendered to Jesus. He's not acting on it. He's not sinning against God. But there are still inward temptations that are very strong. And what this man is speaking about is coming to a place where you recognize those inward temptations and you utterly give those over to Jesus so that there's no hook anymore. As you shared, Alexandra, this email from Chuck, he's no longer tempted by the alcohol. It's over. Yes. He's sanctified. He doesn't fight daily against the temptation of alcohol. If a man is fighting daily against the temptation, but he has not sinned and he's walking clean with God, he must go the next step and utterly surrender his heart and everything to Jesus. And Jesus will totally remove the desire for that thing so that he is totally clean. Now that should happen at conversion. But Wesley said that experientially, it often would take longer than that. Now, he's saying something else that I want you to hear that's really scary. He's saying, if you're walking in sin today, you are unregenerate. You are still lost. You cannot be saved as you walk in your sin. You're going to find today, as we share more of this, that he'll talk about the grave danger of a person who is converted but has not accepted from Christ that final full sanctification because still these temptations will rise and finally one of them will get you and you will leave the path of holiness You'll leave that highway of holiness and you'll follow after the devil. Now, hopefully the Holy Spirit will call you back. But I have to be honest. I've seen men leave the way of the cross and they never came back. They were utterly lost. Arguing, fighting, saying it's unfair, 
but in the end, their pride would not repent. And they were closed out of the kingdom of God. I don't want that to happen to you. So, Alexandra, and did I tell people this is Pilgrim's Progress? Yes, this is Pilgrim's Progress, sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. We are Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. And tomorrow we are going to be doing a very special interview, and we trust that it will happen this time. Yes. Do you want to tell us about it? Yes. So as you may have heard, we had originally planned to do an interview with Jeff King, the president of International Christian Concern, several weeks ago, and we had to reschedule. So we've rescheduled for tomorrow. So we will be live. That's tomorrow, Friday, from 1 to 2 p.m. We'll be live with Jeff King. And we're very excited. International Christian Concern, it's a small organization, but they do a tremendous amount of work. They, can, they call themselves the bridge to the persecuted church. So they work with Christians in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, who are being persecuted. They do things like they support underground pastors, they supply Bibles. If there is a husband who was murdered, they will help the wife and children get kind of get back on their feet and get into some kind of sustainable business so that they can support themselves. He recently wrote a book, which he'll be speaking about. So you should definitely tune in. That will be right here on 780 AM. And you can also listen anywhere in the world at wavaam.com. Okay. You ready? Yes, so we're continuing to read William Godby's book, Holiness or Hell. So he continues talking about justification or regeneration and sanctification and something that uh, I wanted to add to what Ray said about sanctification is it's not just a question of inner temptation of sin in your heart but entire sanctification is consecrating yourself completely to the work of God so you no longer have any other work that your life is devoted to. Your life is devoted to the work of the gospel, to the advancement of God's kingdom. That looks like a lot of different things. It may not necessarily mean that you're a minister because, you know, ministers need to eat. So you could be a farmer, but the point is that the work that you're doing is directly impacting and promoting the kingdom of God. So he goes on, he says, you have two chances for your life instead of one. Satan gets no soul immediately out of the sanctified experience. A fall from sanctification simply brings you back into justification. When you fall from justification, then Satan gets you. So you see, you have two chances instead of one. When a little boy, I was convinced that the war between the states over slavery was bound to come up. I thought it would just about come in time to get me. In my imagination, I saw the Ohio River flowing with blood 
and Kentucky whitened with the bones of the slain. In this I was mistaken. Too much brain and muscle in the north for that. They carried the war just as far from their own door as they could. So Tennessee and Georgia were the embattled line, instead of Kentucky and Ohio. Shall the children of this world be wiser in this generation than the children of light? God forbid. If a sanctified man backslides and loses it, he is still on the king's highway with all the regenerated people till he falls again. As the unsanctified Christian is already on the border where Satan's lions can seize him and pull him out of the way whenever he backslides once, he falls right over into the devil's kingdom and is in danger of dropping into hell if he were to die. So you see, it is quite a risky business for a Christian to remain unsanctified. Then, pilgrim, as you prize your life, press for the interior way, press for the life hid with Christ in God. Though Satan will hunt for you diligently, he will never find you so long as you stay there. You will have to come back to justification before he can pull you over into condemnation. Be assured, you need all the vantage ground you can possibly get against the devil if you are going to succeed in this race for glory. You take an awful risk to travel on Satan's border, where you are exposed to an everlasting border warfare, liable at any moment to be crippled by the enemy, dragged over the hut, and cruelly murdered. That is the reason why only a tithe, or a tenth, of the pilgrims ever reach the kingdom. Satan and his hosts hang along the border like lightning along the edges of the clouds, ready at any unwatchful moment to light upon you, tear you away from the king's highway, and slay you without mercy. Battle-scarred pilgrim, no longer delay. Come into thy sweet rest prepared for thee before the foundation of the world. As Noah's ark found rest on the summit of Ararat, while all the world beside was under the flood, so let thy weary, tempest-tossed soul find sweet, perfect rest from all its wanderings here in the interior way. Long my yearning heart was trying to enjoy this perfect rest, but I gave all trying over, simply trusting, I was blessed. This is the happy song of my restful soul. I traveled nineteen years on the border of the way. Glory to God, I have rested twenty-three years in the interior way. Beware, O pilgrim, and keep in the interior way. Robbers from earth and hell encompass you on both sides. Keep in the center. Part of my experience in walking with Jesus has been made new, regenerated, being saved but not being sanctified and so something would happen and I would respond in a way that was very negative against Jesus or something would take place and a temptation would come and it would hook me and I'd begin to to act in a way that was against Christ. That's what he means when he says the devil hangs along that line. 
a man we both know, has been following Jesus, was regenerate, but not sanctified. And suddenly he runs into a situation where all of his non-Christian family stands in opposition to him. And in his own fear, he walks out of the way of Christ, accuses him, and walks away and is lost, is not on the highway to heaven, is now walking in total rebellion and disobedience to Jesus. He was hanging along right on the edge, doing just the minimum, unwilling to throw everything into the pot. And to be sanctified, to be made holy, it's not complicated. It simply means I'm giving everything of my heart and my life into the hand of Jesus. I am going to trust Jesus. I am going to follow Jesus. I have no hidden agendas. I have no hidden desires. I am given to Jesus. That's all it means to be sanctified. And one comes into this by a gift of grace in total surrender to Jesus, and he simply removes all of these hooks that reach out and want to grab us, and we're free. There's no longer any question about where or how we're going to walk. We walk clean in Jesus. And I praise God I am sanctified by his mighty power that I don't walk on the edge in any area of my life. I praise his name for that. Let's continue with Pastor Godby. He writes a word of warning to the sanctified. In the sweet interior way you now travel, you came from the regenerated experience which bordered on this wicked world with its dead churches holding up their false standard of dead formality and worldly conformity by which you were once deluded, till you got so near hell that you took fright from the smell of the brimstone. Remember, O oh my sanctified brother or sister, though you have happily escaped the awful worldly wickedness and dead church delusions, and have even gotten beyond the reach of that terrific monster the terror of all that have ever sailed over Emmanuel seas, because she has been devouring her hopeless millions of unwary adventurers the last six thousand years, yet her voracious maw is utterly unsatiated. I rejoice that you have so happily, though with death agonies, escaped that horrific monster. But here let me remind you, her twin sister is on the other side. This twin sister is well known by the name of fanaticism. Satan counterfeits everything God does. Dead formality is his counterfeit for regeneration. In this, he mixes in all sorts of heresies, probably none so profitable as the cold water heresy. The devil raises an uproarious laugh when he finds a man fool enough to think he can drown and freeze him out in immersion. 
he is amphibious, like the snake his symbol, and can live in the water as well as on dry land. Some who reject the water god take dead faith. Let's stop just a minute. Let's be clear about what he's saying. He's referring to water baptism. That a man comes and says, I'd like to be baptized. He's baptized, even by immersion, in the river. Walks away from that baptism and is still the same man as he was before. There's nothing magical in that baptism in the river. But that's where they think everything should change. And so we've seen repeatedly to our great sorrow men and women who come and are baptized and then are twice the devil they were before. There was nothing in the baptism to transform them. What transforms them is the blood of Jesus Christ. What transforms them is when they come to Jesus and totally sell out and surrender. Not the outward forms. Anything you want to add to that? No. Okay, let's go on. We find whole churches claiming to be justified by faith, and you can't make them do anything for the Lord. Faith without works is dead. James 2.26 Dead faith is simply a phrase for no faith at all. The popular churchianity of the present day is made up of dead faith, cold water, festivals, and fandangos. My faith is not dead, for I work. What do you do? I collect money. I build houses. I assist in all the temporal enterprises. That is all right in its place, but sinners can do that as well as you. The work by which you prove your faith is spiritual. It is soul-saving work, such as family prayer, public prayer, testimony, and appeals in all sorts of spiritual labor by which you can save sinners, sanctify Christians, and build up the kingdom of God. I just want to repeat that. This is what we're talking about when we say that you dedicate your life to the service of Jesus. So he gives examples of how you can save souls. Family prayer, public prayer, testimony, appeals, and all sorts of spiritual labor by which you can save sinners, sanctify Christians, and build up the kingdom of God. Let me step into that. When I was growing up, the family always sat together at the dinner table every evening. And we talked about the day. Mom and Dad interacted with the three boys. And after we were finished, we finished up whatever homework had to be done or whatever things needed to be taken care of. And then finally, the family gathered in the living room where the scriptures were opened and we had an evening of of worship before the Lord. And you also did that every morning. We also did that every morning before going to school. Well, you might say, well, Pastor, those were days of, of much slower times. No, my mother was a bacteriologist. She worked in the hospital. My dad was a salesman. 
He had to be out doing the work or there was no money. They were busy. Our family was busy. We had all kinds of things going on. But in our family, number one was eating together with no television and then sitting together and worshiping the Lord together. No video games, no television, no foolishness, talking together. Mother and father knew what my spiritual condition was. And if it was not appropriate, they spoke with us about that. They confronted us with where we were spiritually. Now, this went on from the time I was an infant until I finally left for school, away from home. Yes, and it's funny, as I've heard you talk to both of your brothers, they say a lot of the same things you do about, you know, lots of people say they're a Christian, but you can't just say it, you have to walk it out. So these are things that were so deeply instilled in the three of you by your mom and your dad as you grew up that it never left you. And so some of you have children in your home, but you don't bother to set up boundaries. You don't want to make anybody unhappy. So your family does not sit together for dinner. I speak with families who say, what, pastor, are you kidding? We never sit down for dinner. We grab our plates of food and we go and we sit in front of the television and we sit and watch that. Or the kids are playing on the, on the video games. You are setting your children up for hell. You are almost guaranteeing that when they're adults, they will not be Christians. Yes, and I was just thinking about this because I grew up in a non-Christian family, so I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid, probably three hours a day. And I was thinking about SpongeBob SquarePants. And I was like, how did I ever have the time to sit around and watch SpongeBob SquarePants? There's no time. There's no time to entertain yourself. I even thought you could get a t-shirt that says, I don't have time to be entertained. Because that's what it is. It's not like we just have time that we need to fill up with something. You're here and there's a war going on for souls. And every one of us is going to die. And is either going to go to heaven or to hell. So it's not like there is any time to just sit around and entertain yourself. And your children aren't any different. Children can be just as active in this war as you. And if you raise them this way in entertainment, just trying to take up their time so you don't have to deal with them, then that's how they're going to approach life when they're adults. But see, in many homes, mom is busy being a taxi driver, taking the kids, taking the little girls to the dance studio, taking the guys to their baseball, their soccer, rugby, whatever it is they're playing, all kinds of things that children must be involved in. We want our children to be well balanced. We want them to have every opportunity. And mom and dad, what you're literally doing is setting your children up to be pagan kids. They don't have that heart of love for Jesus. They're not passionate about Jesus because mom and dad are not passionate about Jesus. 
Yes, and there's nothing wrong with exercise, but why have it consume so much of your time? I mean, why not just have your whole family get together and just do an hour of exercise and be done with it? Or go out and play ball, or do something as a family. But all of the organized sports, they're not helpful in the Christian journey. So, Godby goes on, he says... These dumb, dead churches constitute Satan's highway of unholiness, which he built along by the side of the Lord's highway to fool people. He has fooled them by millions. They have a fine time, as they think, following the Lord, but in fact they're following Satan transformed into an angel of light, passing himself off for the Lord. The solution of the problem is, dead men don't see anything. Their vision is simply mental and illusory, as they are spiritually blind. They build beautiful church buildings, live in pomp and splendor and luxury, and make a magnificent show in their Sunday services. They are a charming people, exceedingly popular both with the world and the ministry. They are very prosperous and have a good time generally. There is but one trouble in their case, and that is, they drop into hell as fast as they die. As Satan owns all this world except the king's highway, he has jammed his counterfeit road right up against the Lord's, so there is but a line of air in between. As that line can only be seen by the eye of faith, the unregenerate never discover it till just as they are falling into hell. Satan has spared no pains to render his way comfortable to travelers. He has tunneled all the mountains and bridged all the rivers and paved it with gold. The Lord's highway is often both thorny and flinty. Consequently, as, they, as these roads run parallel, constant inducements are being presented by the traveler on Satan's way to allure the Lord's pilgrims to come over and travel that smooth and delightful road. When Bunyan's pilgrim's feet were sore by reason of the flint and briars along the king's highway, he saw a stile by the wayside and a beautiful flowery meadow through which a nice smooth path ran along parallel with the king's highway. He said to hopeful brother, why shall our weary feet continue to mark this stony path with blood when that nice smooth pass through those blooming flowers of the meadow runs precisely parallel. Let us get over the stile and travel it till our feet get well. Then we will cross back to the king's highway. Hopeful acquiesced and they cross over. Soon nightfall eclipses the bright summer day and they can no longer see the king's highway. They get very uneasy, but hearing someone walking before them, for it is now pitch dark and raining, they shout aloud, Does this road lead to the celestial city? Oh yes, I am going there. At this they are much comforted and travel on somewhat cheerful as they hear the footfall of their guide. Suddenly he falls away down into an awful chasm and is dashed to pieces. His dismal dying groans fill them with trepidation. They are afraid to move in any direction lest they fall into the same awful chasm. So in their fright, they fall down and hug the ground. Being exceedingly weary of the journey, 
they fall asleep and are roused by the roar of giant despair's cruel whiplash popping around their heads for having the impudence to trespass on his grounds. So he drives them beneath the merciless lash amid the bright morning light straight into Doubting Castle. As the pilgrims approach the castle, they are shocked to see dead men's bones, skeletons, and corpses on every side. Some are not quite dead. Their moans are frightful beyond description. Giant despair hurries them through the great iron gate which leads into the castle yard. Their way is blocked with dead men. They are forced to walk over them. Down they go through the second gate amid the awful stench of putrefying corpses. He drives them through another gate which eclipses the last ray of daylight. Now in the deep subterranean dungeon, amid the groans of the dying, he beats them within an inch of their lives, does his best to get them to commit suicide, i.e. to give up their hope to get out of their misery, at the same time assuring them that he will beat them to death by piecemeal if they don't put an end to themselves. They spent an awful night. Next morning, Giant Despair comes down and gives them another unmerciful beating repeating his former threats in case they will not commit suicide. So he comes again the second and third morning. The last time, Christian fainted while he was beating him, and Hopeful almost sunk into utter despair. The next night, while talking over their case, Christian observed that he believed under another such beating he would certainly die. Meanwhile, he is rummaging in his pockets and finds a key called Promise. They can't see anything in that dismal dungeon. He says to Hopeful, Oh, my dear brother, I have found a key here in my pocket which will unlock every door in Doubting Castle. Oh, brother, he don't, you don't say so. He takes it in his hand, examines, and says, That's so, Christian. Glory to God. Let us be off. They feel their way to the first door and unlock it without difficulty. The second is much heavier, but they succeed. Now they have come to the iron gate, which leads into the castle yard. There Christian does his best, but can't budge it. In a moment of desperation, he and Hopeful both throw all their weight on the key. They succeed in moving the lock, but it goes back with a click so loud as to awaken giant despair. He jumps up and runs with all his might, sees the pilgrims, as it's now day, running for life up the gangway. He would have intercepted and caught them, but fortunately for the poor, panic-stricken pilgrims, he took an epileptic fit and fell. Before he could recover from his fit, the pilgrims had made their escape out of his domain and actually regained the king's highway. Oh, the millions who have thus been sidetracked and by the charms of Satan's highway, and unlike these, they have gotten so entangled in Satan's morasses and jungles that they've never more been heard of while the great majority who travel Satan's counterfeit way have never been in the King's Highway. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We're sharing this with you because we want you to make the decision to leave your sin, if that be the case, to resolutely go to Jesus and ask to be completely converted because you are not a Christian if you are still walking in known sin and rebellion. And you have to face that reality. And then we are urging you to turn 
and be entirely sanctified by faith, made holy by faith, where you are utterly sold out for the work of the kingdom of God. Now, we're coming to the end of the month, and next week we're going to need to do offertories if between now and then about $1,400 does not come in. We're still short $1,400. I'd like to give you an address and ask. There are many of you who have never written to us and have never given anything, and yet you enjoy the broadcast. We need your help. We go to the post office box and we say, Lord God, would you fill the box? Yes. We call him the God of the box at the post office. We're asking him to move in your heart that you would quickly respond to this appeal and send all that the Holy Spirit would have you send. Write to the National Prayer Chapel, post office box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com, where you can give online using PayPal. We'd also love to hear testimonies, emails, letters, questions from you that you'd like us to share on the air please visit our webpage. And our webpage is also revivalnow.church. Revivalnow.church. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Marie Greenley. I'm Alexandra. We're from the National Prayer Chapel, and we love you. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. God bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.